Hello and welcome to Examination Couch, the new podcast with me, Dr Henry Richardson-Banks. Each episode, a special guest joins me on my examination couch to discuss some topics we find interesting in the medical world. As I discussed in the first episode, I had a scientific background before starting my career in medicine. In this podcast, I want to use that scientific mindset to examine our different practices in medicine and question why we do the things the way we do. Last episode, I discussed how our reactions change to what we see in medicine with my first guest, Dr Alethea Peters. Today, joining me on the examination couch is Dr Rory Heath. After medical school training in King's College London, he moved to Bristol to undertake the foundation programme in the Seven Deanery, which he's finishing now. Much of his interest is focused on the human factors that underpin clinical practice today, and how we can address those to become better colleagues, better leaders and better doctors. Welcome to the programme, Rory. Thanks for having me, Henry. Not at all, absolutely. Today, we're going to explore decision-making within medicine. In particular, we're going to discuss what goes wrong and how we might be able to avoid errors. So Rory, since starting medical school, I've acquired a lot of knowledge about diseases and how they present. The problem I've encountered now I've started practicing is that, of course, patients don't naturally fit into the pigeonholes we learn about in textbooks. And what I've found is that there's a decision-making process that's required in order to try and weigh up the information I see and choose what to act on. Is that something you found as well? Yeah, so um, the whole decision-making process involved in making a diagnosis is incredibly complex. And just as you've said, kind of trying to take a very complex patient into something or make them into something that's understandable, tangible, that you can easily put on a kind of a decision performer so that you can understand, other people can understand, is a process that's essential but is also subject to our our intrinsic kind of cognitive biases the right. lens through which we see that patient okay. um, and that can be affected by multiple different things and it creates problems in the diagnostic process okay and so there are these biases that we're being influenced by but we're not really aware of they're sort of psychological biases of when we're making a decision there's factors impacting our thought process that isn't just the information we have. We're not a clear robot saying this this means this. There's actually other things involved. That's, is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. Exactly. They're almost working on a different level to our normal consciousness. It's, um, and they are affecting everything that we do. But they can have quite significant effects. And we might not even be aware of how significant those effects are. That's how kind of difficult they can be to identify. Okay. Okay. So talking about these biases, are there any particular kinds of bias you want to talk about today so um yeah definitely um we've been kind of reading the same book recently it's by chip and dan heath and it's called decisive and it's a book that um, looks at the common cognitive biases that are that are prevalent in the business world Um, and two of the biases mentioned early on in the book are the narrow framing bias and the confirmation bias um and I guess we've been trying to apply them to our work in medicine, and I think they apply really well. And in that discussion in the book, they have business examples that say company A is subject to what they, they want to make this decision, and they get really focused in on it. And 
the way we're kind of interpreting it is how could we take their advice and use it in a medical context? So I'm hoping there's going to be a direct correlation. So talking about the narrow framing, do you want to explain that a little bit more? So with the business perspective, it's does company X do option A or option B? So they've chosen two options, alternatives, but they're only going to choose one of them. In medicine, it could be I've got one differential or another differential um, and I'm going to choose between one of them. But really, that's that's quite a condensed view of what's happening. Um, and so the bias in that in that sense is the fact that you've already just given yourself only two options, and you need to be able to stand back. That that's what you mean. So you need to be able to see the, the wider field. That's exactly right. So um, in the so in the business perspective, that business is going to suffer by not looking at the other options. And as junior doctors, when we're diagnosing a patient, we might miss diagnoses if we don't identify in that crucial time of that first clacking process so being too narrow-minded okay yeah. and then the confirmation bias how does that apply as such so i'm definitely subject to the confirmation bias and um what, what it is is kind of when you're looking at the patient in front of you you might be carrying kind of residues almost from pe- from patients that you've seen in the past so um you might see a patient in the previous week with a really complex diagnosis but with a very similar set of symptoms to the one you've got now and you might automatically be putting that really rare complex diagnosis on that person when it might be something really simple. Um, so it's almost taking things out of context, out of the context of the true prevalence in the world. Yeah, so I see what you mean. There's almost two factors to that. So you get your previous case bias, we can call it, for the rest of the interview, yeah, where sure. the one you saw last is actually, even if it's really rare, you're automatically going to have a high chance of diagnosing because you saw it recently and also from what you're saying the fact that as you start to see symptoms that mirror something you've seen recently more things you start they start to confirm you start to pick out if you like other bits of information that fit and you start to go down a track because you're seeing everything that's right in it and not the things that are wrong exactly so there's almost two parts to that okay, i think you've just understand. given the better di- definition of confirmation <laughs> bias <laughs> I, I just wonder do you think do you think different types of doctors at different levels, different training grades are by or vulnerable to different types of bias? Yeah, I think that's really interesting as well. I think that you know, the bi- I definitely have biases, but it doesn't mean that a consultant doesn't have their biases, and mm. they might have their own specific biases. Um, so, a consultant belonging to a particular specialty might see everything through that lens of that specialty. Um, okay, so if they work in endocrinology, for example they are more likely to see an endocrinological etiology in something that they're seeing rather than having a more general approach. Yeah, perhaps. And I guess that's why they they introduce a general medical, acute medical training scheme. So maybe to avoid that, maybe, who knows. But I like the idea that, that that's effectively the confirmation bias they're suffering from. Mm. Do you think maybe at the other end of the spectrum, you're much more likely to suffer? Because you've maybe only seen 100 patients, for example, in your in your career of a diagnosing and just by chance, there's someone who might have had a really rare condition in there. But for you, personally, in your timeline, you have a much, that, that it's much more common in, in your population, effectively. So automatically, you're going to suffer from that previous case bias that we discussed. Mm. And I guess, in a way, narrow, narrow framers as well, because you won't have quite the range to be aware of as well. Whereas this is countered by a consultant with many more years experience than I have, where they might have seen that rare condition once in their 30-year career. And so they understand the true prevalence of it within the population. So they can almost counter the bias that I have. Oh, I see what you mean. So in a way, 
the, the, the patient's journey through hospital, it encounters different people with different biases, and by by them all bringing their own approach to their own bias, hopefully it kind of balances out a little bit. It's almost like yeah, the, when the patient moves from the emergency department to the acute medical ward to the general medical ward, they're kind of being funneled through different people's biases, and hopefully by the end of it, you've managed to strike all th- through all of them, and they get to the right place. Maybe, in the end. maybe it's intentional. Maybe maybe someone's thought of this before. Maybe us. it's by design. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're going to use this structure. It's it's scary a little bit, or it's scary to me at least, that there's perhaps so much fallibility in my decision making, which I'm not previously aware of. And I assume that I'm somehow making some exquisitely accurate judgment based on this information. But behind me, there's a lot of heuristics going on that actually is guiding my decision making. I, I guess, how much does it concern you that that's happening? So, yeah, I guess it's a huge concern and it's mainly a concern for me because we don't know what we don't know. We, we're constantly subject to these biases that are hidden within our inner cognitive workings and we, we don't realise that they're there until someone highlights to us that they're there or we make a mistake and we really have to go and question what we're doing. Because mm. um, to an extent we're training, every time we see patients we get feedback on it, we're training these heuristics and we're almost it's almost like we're practising based on a bias that... It's just regular pattern recognition is how we diagnose patients rather than a strict analysis of all the possible information going in and what it could be. I don't know about you, but I think it's quite well recognised or in my people have spoken to that pattern recognition is how they do a lot of their diagnostic skills. So clearly it does work, but maybe, and so, and patients have been treated successfully for years. So maybe actually it's fine that it's based on that, but it's, I think now being aware of it, it's actually causing me more concern than when I wasn't. And I wonder if that's inter- interfering even further, how I then, you know, perform my diagnostics because I'm second-guessing myself a little bit. Yeah, I see what you mean. That is really interesting, trying to kind of go against your natural grain yeah, of thought, yeah. but then maybe, like, disturbing the water too much and then yeah. creating a, a completely wrong diagnosis. Maybe the way that we're doing it at the moment yeah, is the same exactly. yeah. I think teaching in medical school is perhaps one of the bedrocks of how we would combat this in a way did you have any teaching about decision making in medical school um not really not we didn't have any we were always just taught about the structure i guess um if you put faith in the structure of the socrates or the standard history taking okay structure of your history yeah then um then that kind of eliminates all the decisions you have to make because you're collecting this, the, that set amount of data, data, really, you're transferring the history of the patient into data that everyone can use. Um, I guess you're right in a way. So that that is that is a way of teaching um, to avoid bias because we're going through a checklist automatically. Yeah. So I guess that is that is to an extent some teaching on decision making, but we, it wasn't framed like that. That it was a decision making tool. It was more just you're told to do this, and and therefore you do. Yeah, I guess what what how medical school could improve decision making teaching is to, um, so I see what you mean that the history taking is a form of decision making, but it excludes the wider cognitive biases that affect that. Perhaps specific teaching on cognitive biases mm. is is the right context that you need to understand yeah. to be able to use that decision making of the history taking kind of pro. pro- yeah, no, I understand. I think. Even as you start clinical school, because you're quite fresh at that point, you haven't got any of the prejudices or assumptions of how the hospital works at the point. Just a set four lectures, just say, look, here are things that you probably aren't even aware that you're being subject to right now. Something we can introduce saying, 
you're going to be more likely to think of this diagnosis if you saw it yesterday. So just have that in mind. And actually, you're more likely to get confirmation bias if you don't ask open questions, something like that. So that would be an interesting way to think, I think, suggesting the medical school curriculum at least. I guess so now the next thing to discuss is how we can use tools to avoid these biases. Now we're aware of them, what can we do to stop them? So they mention some in the book, don't they? Yeah, so I guess the first one we should talk about is narrow framing. Um, and so this is, so to kind of get around narrow framing where you may have only chosen one or two options, you use something called the vanishing options ch- test, um, which is where you eliminate those two options that you've already chosen, okay. and thereby forcing you to try and come up with more. Um, and so in a medical world, this could be, I've got two differentials on my list. What can I do? Or what, what are my options if neither of those are correct? Can I force myself to kind of squeeze out an extra differential? I like that. And if you introduce that almost into your formula, into your structure of history taking, then it becomes less of a chance that you do it. If you become, every single time, take your diagnosis, but say that option's removed, find me something else that could explain this. And it just force you to spend that extra second and hold on, is there something I've missed here? I like that as almost a sort of a cognitive tool, if you like, mm-hmm. to try and counter your own bias. Okay. Very interesting. And then I guess we need to find something for the confirmation problem. Is it, They mentioned that in the book as well. Mm, yeah. Um, the, the confirmation bias could be, um, it could just be asking kind of a colleague or, or asking yourself, like, um, what, uh, could I be wrong on this? Or like, what, point out an error in my thinking at the moment. So you're really trying to get a foil against what you're doing to, to oh, so highlight the errors it's sort of an anti-confirmation if you like where what would have to be true for this not to be the case you yeah know, what piece of information here does not fit with your theory so it was for, for example you're following your consultant around on the post take you say okay hand up this is my cognitive tool here i want to highlight this piece of evidence that doesn't fit and that might if, if they're as you said they're, they're going down their endocrinological basis you're like hold on here's one thing i can do I like that. I really like be that. the doctor who does that. Yeah. <laughs> Theory versus practice, my friend, <laughs> and how that varies. And it, I guess, interestingly, we also did touch on the previous case bias as such. One thing you could do for that is write down the last time you saw that case. Because let's say it was six months ago, you've never seen it before. Maybe you're coming to this conclusion through genuinely you, you you think all the different all the signs and symptoms fit the differential but if you say oh, hold on actually i diagnosed this yesterday it might be just a small red flag to think is this me suffering from a bias rather than a, a scientific rigor in that sense do you think that would work as well yeah yeah we talked about kind of i guess understanding the prevalence of conditions in the wider population but now i guess it's more about understanding the prevalence of Conditions within your own experience. Yeah, within your timeline. Yeah, within your own really timeline. Really nice. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, do you want to sum up what we've discussed today, Rory? Yeah, so kind of working our way through the medical world, we have to apply many of our own lenses to seeing patients and making decisions. And these can be really problematic um, with the cognitive biases that they bring. Um, two of the ones that we focus on today are narrow framing and um, confirmation bias. And some of the trips, um, the tips and tricks we've got to try and get around them are to use the vanishing options test to, if if none of these are right, what else could I think about? And um, the other one was the anti-confirmation test. So, 
Perfect. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think, thank you for summarising that so neatly. I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for joining me on the Examination Couch today, Rory. Thanks very much for having me, Henry. It's been an absolute pleasure. Today you've been listening to Examination Couch. It was hosted by me, Dr. Henry Richardson-Banks, and my guest was Dr. Rory Heath. Thank you for tuning in, and I do hope you'll join me next time. Until then, bye-bye.